Hi everyone, before we kick off today's episode, we just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of the listeners that have liked, subscribed and followed the podcast. It means a lot to us and if you haven't done so already, please subscribe and follow us on our social media channels. Now for the latest episode. Welcome to Pitchside Perspective Podcast with your hosts Stuart Sharples and Jack Colazar. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Pitchside Perspective Podcast. In this episode, we pay tribute to one of the true legends of the game, a name that resonates with fans worldwide, the iconic Sir Bobby Cholton. So to celebrate his legacy and honour his place amongst football greats, we are going to delve into legends of the game and come up with our best 11 of legends who have played in England. Talking about legends, how are you, Jack? Uh, yeah, I'm good. These introductions just keep getting better and better, Stu. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's definitely challenging me each week to come up with one. But uh, no, I'm going to give you credit. You are a legend. Thanks. Um yeah, so uh, some good games at the weekend. United again scraping through um, against what I called last episode a Sunday league team. So I think that makes Man United uh, close to a Sunday league team as well. Yeah, they uh, weren't great either, were they? Wasn't, they're not, not hitting their straps, but they're kind of finding a way to go over the line. In the Champions League last night, they did, did the same as well. Yeah, Big I'm, win I'm, for Aston Villa. Big win yeah. for Aston Villa over West Ham. Jacob was on the podcast last week, probably very upset about that one. No, 100%. I think uh, I don't think Jake was expecting uh, Villa to absolutely womp him. Um, but no, I, I see Villa really pushing on now. I think I think it was on BBC that Stephen Warnock, the the left back, came out and said he can see Villa in the top four. Um, maybe not top four, but I definitely think they're in a strong shout of that top six and pushing for that fifth, sixth spot. Yeah, I think people sometimes get carried away because they see a team and go, that's a top four team, but they forget that that means someone else has to drop out of the top four. So it's okay saying that's a top four team, but then you've got to tell me which team is going to be moving out of the top four to make way for them. You know, Liverpool, I think, are strong, along with Arsenal and City, and then it's a, it's going to be a fight for that last spot, I think. I mean, Tottenham, yeah. obviously, top of the league right now, so... I think you're right in terms of somebody has to drop out of there for Villa to get in. And you've gone from it being a top four league when we were kind of growing up to it now being like kind of like a big six. You've got the likes of Tottenham in there, Newcastle now in the fold. It's, uh, it's strong. Yeah, I mean, you could even argue a top eight, even extend it out. Yeah, because those teams mm-hmm. around those six, seven, eight spot, they're strong. They even... As much as we give uh, Jake a little bit of dupe from last week, but like you look at West Ham, West Ham are, are strong, but are they good enough maybe for top six, as he was saying? I don't think so. But yeah. it just shows at the weekend anyone can beat anyone. So it's uh, it's definitely starting to keep our eyes peeled too. Um, what uh, what beer of choice for this week, Jack? Uh, I've, gone, I've gone local again. I've got a black lager, which is um, it's made by the Vaughan Sea Brewing Company. Which is in uh, Norristown in Pennsylvania, I believe. Uh, yeah, Norristown, Pennsylvania, not too far from me. Um, and it's the Schwarzbier Black Lager, something different. Trying it out. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, I've gone, I've gone local. 
Um, I've had a beer from this brewing company before. It's the King County Brewing Company in New York. Only reason I picked this beer is because of the the graphics on the can. It's called a Dead Lasso, a play on word with Ted Lasso, and all the characters from Ted Lasso are zombies. So going in with the Halloween theme, um, it's a fruited sour. I'm not really a big fan of the fruited sour, but I got it with you in mind of how much you like your sour beers. Um, but again, yeah, just check out, and I'll probably put it on social, a picture of the can, because it is a really cool-looking can. Um, but it'll be one that I, uh, I sip on and uh, get through the episode with. Yeah, I'm sure it's good. So, Jack, my turn now to ask a question. Um, it was a very good question from you last week and definitely stumped me on a couple of them, but brought back down memory lane of a few of those goals from the goalkeeper. Uh, yeah. But with the, with the Manchester derby this weekend, mm. Man United versus Man City, I've gone down this route. There are 15 players who have represented at a first-team level both Manchester City and Manchester United. And what I will say, just to kind of give you a little bit of a clue, somebody like a Jaden Sancho does not count. Yeah. He never made a first-team appearance for Man City. There, are, There is also other players in there that you have to be very careful about because... There's a few that were in the academy but never made a first-team appearance. So these 15 players have played for Man City and Man United at the first-team level. Yeah, that's a tough one. 15. Uh, I, I mean, I definitely got a few straight away in my mind, but 15 is going to be a stretch for me, I think. And this is dating back quite a long time as well. So uh, right. you might have to get your, your black and white tapes out. Yeah, and you know, people are a big fan of these questions that we keep coming up each week. It's a lot of people's favourite part of the pod, so um, you're testing testing out a lot of listeners with that question, I think. Like it. Looking forward to the end of the episode for those uh, those answers. So, yeah, so, Jack, some very sad news, obviously, coming out uh, in recent times of uh, the passing of Sir Bobby Charlton. Um, I watched the uh, the United game last night and had chills as they, they had the bagpipes before the game and they brought out a wreath. Um, very sad time. One of the true legends of the game, right? Yeah, for sure. It kind of uh, reminded me, when I was a kid, I had an old VHS tape that I used to watch, probably weekly, about like, the history of Man United. And it had on there, you know, all the way back from the Busby Babes and the Munich Air disaster um, and all the way through. And it and kind of one constant throughout that whole time from then all the way to the modern day was, was Sir Bobby Charlton, um, both on the field and off the field, be, being an icon and being someone who uh, I think brought everyone in the club together uh, under one umbrella. So definitely a big loss. Yeah, was, as as the news came out, I was watching uh, some social clips and it was, um, who was it? Oriana Solskjaer was speaking and uh, he would say that the day before the Champions League final in 99, they're, uh, they're on the pitch at, the stadium just like warming up like how you would like a practice before the game and who comes out of the tunnel Bobby Charlton gets he has his boots on he joins in the rondos with the players and you must be talking he's probably like late 50s 60s and Oli Gunnar Solskjaer saying like he's keeping up with all of the first teamers and it was funny as well because in the story he said that there was two boxes and it was called like the Legends box and then like the Newbies box. And the Legends box had like the top, top players in. And Bobby Charlton would be in that box all the time. 
And you can just imagine how cool is that that you're playing with one of the true greats and somebody that you, probably most of those players look up to and admire. Yeah, and I think he had so much, um, I guess you could call it power, but then when you see how people speak about him, it's it's the way that he was so approachable and comfortable speaking to people while still being such a, like say, a legend and hero for everyone at the club at the same time, and yet so personable with people is a, a very unique skill. Yeah, it goes to show how much of a legend he was when teams from all around the world are paying tribute to him. Like you had Real Madrid and Barcelona with the minute silence. Um, not many players get that, and that is why he is a legend. And that's why today's episode we are dedicating towards the legends of the game. Um, I found this very tough. Um, obviously, myself and Jack being similar ages, kind of didn't grow up with a lot of the players that we're probably going to mention with tonight. So it's been a lot of stat-heavy research, trying to look into it. Obviously, we know of the names, um, but not being able to watch them has definitely made it a challenge for me. I'm not sure about you, Jack. Yeah, it's great. It's tough. I mean, you obviously hear stories about players. You can watch old footage back and you hear ex-professionals talking about people and, and whatnot as well. And maybe old family members talking about players, so... It's a, a good test of our knowledge, I think. And I'm sure there's going to be some people reaching out to us with different opinions. Some of our older listeners will be able to kind of fill in the blanks that we've missed out. Yeah, and I think in the past when we've kind of done our, our best 11s, we've kind of battled against each other. But I think in honour of the the true humbleness of uh, Bobby Chow, and I think this is more of a, a collaboration as we go through the positions and collaborate with each other on who we think should be in the best 11. I will say yeah. that we have gone for the traditional 4-4-2. Uh, the only way to go in a Legends 11, I think, 4-4-2, right? Yep, I think that's uh, the traditional formation of uh, of days gone past. Um, so, yeah, Jack, I'll start with you on the goalkeeper side then. Uh, for me, I, I, I my suggestion would be Shilton. Obviously, most caps of all time for England. It's just a stat that just... Uh, well, number one, right? Yep, number one in position, number one in uh, in choice of goalkeeper. The only one I would maybe put in with a shout, and I think we're going to have a lot of shouts and honourable mentions as we go through this, would be obviously the, the World Cup winner in Gordon Banks. Um, that save, I've seen it numerous times now, with the save against Pele. Mm. He was an unbelievable keeper. But I think you're right in terms of Peter Shilton, 1,005 appearances, not, not many players are getting even close to half of that. Um, he was a first division winner, obviously, with Forrest, and in the same year and the year after, a back-to-back European Cup winner. Um, and I was looking up as well, Peter Shilton, PFA team of the year, 10 times. That's oh. a lot. Yeah, that must be close to a record as well. Over a 1,000 games, I didn't even realise that. That's insane. It's a, it's a crazy amount of games. You do have to say that, like, obviously, with keepers being able probably to be the, the best position to prolong your career, but to be playing at the highest level as well. Um, for me, uh, Peter Shilton has to go in there over Gordon Banks. All right, so we're going with Peter Shilton. Um, it's funny, when I was when I was looking at legends of the game and doing my research, it seems every legend is an attacking player. Like I struggled mm. to find defenders here. and I, The first one I've gone for... Um, I think we'll start with our right back. I've gone for Phil Neal, uh, the Liverpool player uh, of the seventies, eighties. Uh, I was looking up as well. He was he was like a 
back in the day, Cafu, like at the first one of the first goal scoring right backs, um, eight division titles, four European um, title as well for Liverpool. That was some team as well, the seventies, eighties Liverpool team. Probably one of the best teams to have ever graced the English game. Yeah, won everything, right? Um, it is like you said, the defenders never really get the uh, the spotlight, do they? But I uh, I do enjoy kind of reading up on these old old players of past because you can kind of go down a rabbit hole of finding out about their life as much as their their playing as well. Right back, I put forward uh, Billy Wright. We spoke about him, I think, answering a, a question in the past. Billy Wright, Wolves debut at sixteen, rail railway worker. Um, at the same time as having an apprentice there, I think. Debut at 16, played for 20 years in the top level. Three league titles, FA Cup, first ever footballer to reach 100 international caps. 90 times as a captain, as a record as well. All that at the same time as, um, obviously there weren't as many international games, but also with, with the war going on and things like that, interrupting it too. Um, I think at one point he was in the army as a, as a trainer, and then when he, when possible, got back on the field and played games. But yeah, my, my Billy Wright. Did you know as well, Billy Wright was actually a runner-up in the Ballon d'Or? Okay. So in 1957, he was a runner-up. But yeah, I think when you look at him as well, I think the one thing you have to bear in mind with Billy Wright, one club wonder with Wolves. Um, I think it was just under 500 appearances. Uh, I think 490 appearances for one team. I mean, 490 appearances amongst your whole career is a lot, but for that to be for one team as well, I've kind of got a soft spot for any player that's a one-club hero. I guess some people would call it lack of ambition or others would call it loyalty. Um, But when you're winning, why would you move anywhere else? So I think this is actually going to be a tough one. You've obviously got Billy Wright in terms of longevity of England and whatnot, but then Phil Neal, you've got a player there who's picked up numerous titles has probably got a whole room in his house um, dedicated to the titles, whereas Billy Wright, good individual player, yes, he did win a few first divisions in the 50s, but I'm not sure. Where's your head at here? I'll go with Phil Neal. I just think with the titles, right, he, yep. he kind of gets in there. So, yeah, I think Phil Neal at right back um, from that 70s Liverpool team. Um, Sounds good. Left back, left back, I've gone, well, I've got a great opportunity here to get a, a Huddersfield player in. Uh, get a Huddersfield player in, 66 World Cup winner, Rhea Wilson, left-back Huddersfield Town player, as well as others, but part of that 66 World Cup winning squad. Um, I think he retired in Slaveway in Huddersfield, not too far from me at all. Uh, and it's just my opportunity to get a Huddersfield Town player in this Legends team. Yeah, it might we be. Did have a, we did also have a, a kit not that long ago in his memory. It was like a red away kit, red for the 66 World Cup winning shirt. It had his autograph, his signature on the back and the front as well. Yeah, I think this is going to be probably the only time you ever get a Huddersfield uh, player into any type of best 11. So I think it is going to be hard to argue. And I found left-backs very hard to, to look at. He had a great year in obviously 1966, not only winning the World Cup, but he also picked up the FA Cup as well. Yeah, and maybe the my, the other left back that comes to mind, and maybe in years from now they'll be talking about is Ashley Cole. I think might go down at one point as as the best left back ever for England. Yeah, it's one of those. I think there's there's going to be a lot of players that we could have probably put into this that is probably 
tipping on our era, but I feel like for them to be a true legend of the game, I hate to say it, but they have to be kind of towards their uh, the deathbed almost. But the other one I kind of thought of was was Dennis Irwin, um, a big legend, but similar to to maybe Dennis Irwin's ten years further forward to being a legend than Ashley Cole. Um, but no, I'm I'm happy to to get you a town player in there and get Ray Wilson in there. Yeah, get Ray in there. Um, two centre backs. I think I think we have to be. I don't even know who you've got, but we have to be in agreement. I think it was one of them, one of the greatest ever English players, and uh, the captain, Bobby Moore. I think if you haven't got Bobby Moore in there, Jack, I'd be very disappointed with your knowledge. No, I definitely have Bobby Moore in there. Yeah, um, I think it's like when it comes to these legends, it's about their on-field ability. It's also about just the the iconic status of them, the personality, the memories they create for people. I always remember. In um, one of the old changing rooms I used to use when I was a kid, there was always that uh, famous photograph of Pele and uh, Bobby Robson, uh, Bobby Moore, sorry. Um, Pele and Bobby Moore kind of shaking hands and swapping shirts that was always hung up in the post in the uh, changing rooms, which I always remembered. So, yeah, he's got to be a definite, right? Yeah, Bobby Moore. So, is, is this for a fact? So, in 1966, he was he received the BBC Sports Personality of the Year. Obviously, we're very used to that now. Great uh, award. But he was the first ever footballer to win that award. Um, mm. And no other footballer won it for another 24 years after that. So I think that goes a long way to show how much of an influence and what a player he was in England in that time in the late 60s. Um, obviously, the captain for the 66 World Cup win but I think if you speak to, I'm sure if we got Jake back on this episode, being a West Ham fan, he's probably West Ham's biggest legend as well, right? Yeah, and a lot of people would argue the best England player of all time. I think Brody mentioned that as well the other week when he came on. Um, but I'm just looking as well at like what he won. So he never actually picked up um, a first division title, but he was part of that West Ham team, 63-64, that won uh, the FA Cup and then the European Cup Winners' Cup following year in 64-65 and I didn't realise as well he actually played in Hong Kong Uh, well shout out to our fans out in Hong Kong I'm sure they'll be uh, remembering him get tagging out there in Hong Kong Um, but yeah (laughs) Bobby Moore is is one of them Uh, I think maybe yeah he's got to be in there my other one um, again a really good player but you know legend status I'm going to throw out there for a different reason and that's uh, Viv Anderson who I believe is the the first uh, black player to play for England iconic but I think as well like yeah that's a big statement but he was a fantastic player as well oh yeah don't let that kind of hide the fact that um, he was a great player too and Um, 77 78 football league title 78 79 European Cup 79 80 European Cup in that famous Brian Clough Nottingham Forest team yeah, he played for some big teams. Like you look at, he was at Forest, Arsenal, United, Sheffield Wednesday. He even finishes his career with Barnsley. Barnsley back in the early nineties and late eighties were were a pretty big team compared to where they're at now. But yeah, he uh, he won it all. I'm sure he he's happy with his trophy cabinet. Viv Anderson is definitely a good one. I think I may have pipped you to one here. Uh, yeah. I've gone for. Well, let me actually read out the quote and see if you can uh, get this player. You'll win nothing with kids. Who said that? 
Oh, that was the uh, Alan Hansen, the Liverpool player, back when yeah. he was commentating on the, uh, what was that, 1992, 93, something like that, Man United Yeah, when the, the class of 92 was coming in. Um, and what did Fergie do? Fergie won it with the kids. But yeah, I didn't enjoy him as a pundit on Match of the Day, but I, as a player, I don't think you can argue with, with what he's won. He, again, part of that famous Liverpool team from the 70s, 80s, eight titles, uh Back to like all of those European wins as well. He was in the PFA team of the year six times as well. Most of those coming back to back to back. So again, Mr. Consistency. And again, before our time, but I was kind of looking up and kind of watching clips. He was so composed on the ball as a centre back. And you kind of look back to that time when you see games, it was kind of a very direct game, but he was so composed on the ball and would just like be spraying passes left, right and centre. And I, I really didn't realise this about him. Um, but Alan Hansen has won the lot and such a fantastic player. Just shame about his punditry. Yeah, we got that one. So, well, so it's, it's funny, I've heard I've heard like some of the Man United players talk about that, saying, well, actually he was right, you don't win the league with with kids. But we we weren't just kids, we were kids, but we also had people like Eric Cantona, etc. I see Bruce leading the kids, so... There's an argument about that one, but two players that have won everything, right? Two great centre backs, two winners. Who do you want to go for? Do you go with the English partnership, or do you have a bit of an English and do you get a bit of Scottish in there? That toughness from the Scots. The only thing I would say is you kind of go back to that Billy Wright and Phil Neal argument. I would say Alan Hansen has probably won more than Viv Anderson, but you also go in. A very tough time in England, obviously, racially. Viv Anderson stood up for a lot and coming into the fold, going through that hard times. Do you put him in there as well for that, but also for being a fantastic player? Yeah, because I, I just think when it comes to legendary status, it's not. It's about more than just on the field and playing and how many trophies you won is definitely a, definitely part of it. But to kind of break into that, you know, to be the first player to break into that England team as a as a black football player at a time where I'm sure it was very, very difficult and had a lot of challenges. And, um, you know, there's still challenges in the modern game, but I'm sure back then it was even um, even harder. So I, I would I would nominate Viv, Viv Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in agreement. I would go with him. Um, all right, so back four being Phil Neal, Ray Wilson, Bobby Moore and Viv Anderson. Peter Shilton in goal. I don't see us conceding many goals. Now we move on to the middle. I think we go with our, our centre midfielders, and I think we kind of go as like a little bit of a diamond. Like you need somebody in there who's going to be the leader, disciplined. There may be a little bit of attack and flair. I've gone with Captain Marvel. I know earlier you mentioned maybe Bobby Moore comes in as the captain, but I've got another fantastic captain with Captain Marvel, and that is Brian Robson. Yeah, well, there's someone else who will definitely end up being the captain, but Brian Robson, great player, uh, big leader, again, a winner, and an, an excellent captain. Um, for a moment there, I thought you were going to throw Paul Ince's name out um, in there as, as someone... I I'm, I was a big fan of Paul Ince as a, as a legend. I would come down as a legend, but yeah, Brian Robson. Uh, how many caps for England? 90? Brian, yeah, you got a lot. You got 90 caps. Um, caps. Yeah, he was in that question the other week. Um, yeah, about the England caps. Yeah, and I think he actually could have got more. 
Um, a lot of people say that he, towards maybe the middle to later part of his career, he did pick up a lot of injuries. I think I was reading up like about broken arms and stuff like that, which stopped him from playing. I think easily he could have come into being maybe the most capped player for England just because of the talent, who he was, just how he conducted himself. And any story I hear about Brian Robson is just how unbelievable he actually was and he would carry teams. Yeah, because you do hear, you know, when you hear people like Roy Keane, for example, talking about his time at Man United and he speaks so highly of people like Brian Robson and the impact he made not only on the field but just around the club as a whole and set set standards for everyone else to follow. Yeah, and a true box-to-box player, he could he could do it at both ends, right? He could go and defend the box and then get the ball and go score at the other time. Um, but he was also very, very fierce in his play. I think this is probably one of the players that I've seen more out of all of the legends that we're going to talk about, just being a United fan. Um, but he never looked tired, not at all. Like I've I've gone back over the last few days and watched a few games of it. He never looked like he was ever tired. Um, yeah, I'm amazed that we've got up until this point without you trying to get a Man United player in. To be fair, well, you know, I'm 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 trying to be better. Um, what I will say though is every single player on from here probably is associated with Man United, so uh, we have to be <laughs> careful. Um, but yeah, we I reckon Brian Robson sitting in the midfield. What do you reckon? Yeah, that sounds good to me. So then on the other spectrum of the midfield the attacking flair who have you gone for so um well i've gone for the uh mentioned bobby charlton and i could play the newest positions left inside forward the old school position inside forward up front um i was an attacking midfielder in the modern sense so i put bobby charlton as an attacking midfielder at the top of the diamond I've already spoken about him one of the best players in the world and also just the legacy of of himself on the field and what it meant to the club and then what his actions off the field meant to the club too. And he very nearly quit playing. After the, the Munich air disaster, he didn't want any more. Um, what a travesty that would have been. But I just look at the accolades he's picked up individually. Yes, he's won it with his teams. You've got in there... He was a golden ball winner. He got it World Cup All Star team. He won the Ballon d'Or, and he was also runner runner up twice. Um, he's been in numerous Hall of Fames. He was voted FIFA Player of the Century. So, like, wow. what a player he was! And I, I think kids of today probably don't appreciate actually who he was. And you think about, you think about what the playing surfaces are like now at the top top stadiums and how lucky the players are to be playing. This is Bobby Charlton, who was probably playing on a field that was more mud and dirt than actual grass, bobbling up. And even with all of these players, these players never got to play on the nicest pitches, but look how talented they were. Yeah, not even just the pitches. It's the pitches, it's the equipment, the ball and the, the ball and um, and boots they were using and the technology they had in training to help them and all the information now about nutrition and diet and everything else they didn't have. And they were still, you know, just phenomenal players. Um, like you mentioned about you know, coming out of that Munich air disaster, the challenge that must have been to then step back on the field and then after that to kind of lead the team back with the Busby Babes on the field and is just an immense effort to kind of put the club on your back and say, you know, and fight back against that adversity is, is unbelievable, really. 
Yeah. So yeah, Bobby Bobby Charwin goes in as the the modern day number ten. Um, I reckon we move over to the right wing, and I'm going to give you a clue of a nickname: the Wizard of the Dribble. Yeah, Wizard of the Dribble. Um, same as me, Stanley Matthews, the magician, the Wizard of the Dribble. The other crazy stat I found out about him is he played at the top level until the age of fifty. <laughs> Sir Stanley Matthews, uh, another Ballon d'Or winner. Yep. Was it, I think I believe if I'm correct, he was the first Ballon d'Or winner from England. Um, could be wrong now. Could be correct. It might be him or Sir Tom Finney. Pretty sure it was him though. But he was. Um, he was the only player still to this day, I believe, to be knighted while still playing the game. Well, there you go. But to your stat as well that he played up until he was fifty. He represented his country as the oldest player at 42 years old. 42 years old, still playing. That's a lot. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, it's, it's actually kind of crazy when you hear in modern times people giving so much praise. You know, I remember before Ryan Giggs retired and it was crazy, you know, how people were saying, look at Ryan Giggs and how he can keep playing because of technology and all this new sports science that we have. And maybe they forget, well, well, this guy was playing when he was 50 before any of that sports science or anything like that came out. And as well, so he made over 700 appearances, but also we have to bear in mind that when he was playing at, I think it was between his like mid-20s to early 30s, he had to have a period where he wasn't playing because of the war. So yeah. imagine if then he had another, like, say, three, four, maybe five years where he was playing consistently as a professional player you're talking about a player that's matching the likes of Peter Shilton going past a thousand appearances. But I, I remember as a kid, there was a, a video and I, we go back to the, the VHS uh, for our older listeners of, it was like a, a Stanley Matthews, how to dribble. And it was just him <laughs> teaching how to dribble. And I remember like just watching it and then like going into my back garden, like trying to do it. And if you've seen me try to dribble, then maybe I wasn't watching the right videos, but yeah, what a player he was. And I think he was probably one of the the first players to, you could really appreciate that dribbling technique, especially back then when it was a very much kick and run style game. Yeah, I mean, I think, so I got here from the age of 24 to 30, the, the war cost Matthews his kind of career um, when he was part of the Royal Air Force. Uh, turned out when he could, but was part of the Royal um the Royal Air Force based out in Blackpool as a corporal. So, yeah, imagine that six years really probably in, in his prime, the way he didn't play. Yeah, 100%. So then on, on the flip side, we've got Stanley Matthews on the right and then on the left. I'll I'll do your little quote game back to you. I'll give you one or two quotes from this guy. I'm sure everyone knows who I'm talking about. One of his quotes is, people always say I shouldn't be burning the candle at both ends. Maybe they haven't got a big enough candle. And if you need another one to give you a clue, if you'd given me the choice of going out and beating four men and smashing a goal in from 30 yards against Liverpool or going to bed with Miss World, it would have been a difficult choice. Luckily, I had both. Wow. What a guy this guy was. The best, Georgie Best. That's right, George Best, yeah. Such an iconic player. And I think probably one of those players that you look at, from, again, from both ends of that candle in terms of 
his success on the field, but what a player he was off the field as well. Like I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure, uh, like back in that time, like young, like teenagers and like early twenties, adults around are like looking at his style, going, you know what? That's who I want to be. I want to be George Best. Yeah, that quote's perfect. Picking up Miss Universe one night, banging in four goals the next day. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, going back to that old VHS tip as well, watching videos of him in like the dark blue Man United shirt in the Champions oh, European Cup it was back then, dribbling past people, banging goals in, scoring little chips and dinks and dribbling just after man after man through the bobbly mud and banging it in. Um, yeah, wand of a left foot, just like the balance and skill um, and all the greats, you know, were fans of that guy. Um it's funny too, he has another quote about Ronaldo where I think he said, uh, you know, he's been com- a lot of, he's been compared a lot to like new overcoming great players. When he got compared to Ronaldo, it was the first time he saw it as an actual compliment. What a player. Again, another Ballon d'Or winner. Yeah. And you, it, look, at the, just... you look at the awards he's won as well. <laughs> Can you imagine if George Best was playing in the modern game today? I, I don't think he would actually survive because of how strict they are now and you can't even sniff a pint, whereas back then, that was his diet. <laughs> yeah, but then again, it's you know, would he have been a better player now with all the help he would have got without that? You know, did that make did that stunt him? I don't know. Well, I've got like here, so I'm just looking at a quote. And this is a quote from, again, arguably probably one of the best ever to have played the game in Diego Maradona. And Maradona said, um, George Best inspired me when I was young. He was flamboyant and exciting and able to inspire his teammates. And he would, Maradona would say we were very similar in how we played. And it's all about creating those moments of magic. And I think when you think of that word magic, it goes hand in hand with George Best, like, as we spoke earlier about the state of the the pitches, like George Best was, that ball would almost be glued to his foot when he would dribble. I think you could maybe put George Best in there as maybe one of the best of the eleven we're going to pick. One of the best, yeah. But is it one of those? He's, I don't think people realize how good he was, and you do hear like a lot of stories about just in terms of people saying. Yeah, people knew he's good, but behind the scenes, you got no idea how good this guy was. The people used to say like he'd go through on the keeper and purposely, like basically, bounce it off the keeper's shins and tap it in on purpose, and almost play one two off the goalkeeper's legs on purpose. And yeah. before the goalkeeper realised, because he was he was just so easy for him, he had to make it more fun. Um, and it was like, you know, he had to he had to outdo everyone on the field. Yeah. Um, and I think. That's probably what he was like off the field too. You know, he had to he had to outplay and outdo everyone on the field, and off the field he had to outdo and outdrink everyone as well. Yeah, I think this is shaping up to be a very good team. Um, so yeah, Stanley Matthews on the right, George Best on the left, two magicians flying down the wing, supplying crosses for two strikers. This was the hardest part for me. Uh, well, one I think is a definite in Jimmy Greaves. Most goals. In the English top flight, people talk about Harry Kane's record right now, most Premier League goals, but Jimmy Greaves does hold the record for the most goals in the first division in the top flight of English football. It's not Alan Shearer. 
Um, and for England, he scored he scored forty four goals for England, which isn't a huge amount, but he only played in fifty four games for England. So forty four international goals in fifty four matches. Yeah, no, it's Jimmy Greaves is a true legend of that striker role, um, and I don't think it's going to take a long, a long time for players to catch up to that level. Um, but yeah, that stat you just said there about England of how many games he played and the goals he scored and what that breaks down goals per game, that's frightening. Yeah, goals per game wise, it has to be up there with the, the top, top, top. I can't see many people getting better than that. Um, but I guess just a true goal scorer. Yeah, and I know we said obviously these players are the ones that have played in England, but obviously he had that that short spell in AC Milan. Um, and I think there as well, he played 10 games and scored nine goals. Yeah, I don't think he was a fan of it, though. I don't think he enjoyed it there. Yeah, I think that's why he was only there for one year, maybe. Um, but yeah, it's so Jimmy Greaves is up there. So now we're thinking of maybe another strike. There's so many players you can mention here. You've got the likes of Kenny Dalgleish, Gary Lineker, Ian Rush, Kevin Keegan, um, Dennis Law. The list goes on and on and on. Yeah, I was going to throw Dennis Law in there. You know, did have a good time at Huddersfield. It would be amazing if we get two Huddersfield players in there. Although I guess he's more famously known for playing for Man United. Gary Lineker, obviously, Golden Boot winner at the World Cup for England. This is a rarity. Dalgleish. You know, again, think about the team he played in that won everything, and he was at the at the pinnacle of that scoring goals. Who uh, who are you looking at for the second striker? So we've mentioned a lot about how players that we've spoken about, George Best, Stanley Matthews, and whatnot, have won the Ballon d'Or. The one player that kind of I'm thinking of now is a player that's not only won the Ballon d'Or once, but he's won it twice, and that's Kevin Keegan. Um, yeah a fantastic player on the ball and also how good he was, his leap and his jump to go win balls in the air and he was only five foot eight. He was regarded as a fantastic header of the ball for being so small. Um, again, part of that Liverpool team, even when, at his Newcastle days, he was fantastic. I think he's in there with a shout, but then I'm also looking at like Kenny Dalgleish and Ian Rush again. That seventies Liverpool team and early eighties, they were unstoppable. Um, and I, I, I want to not always be biased towards Man United. Um, I do uh, acknowledge that before people start banging on to me about it, I might need a little bit of your help here. Who, who you think we could put in as that that second striker? Um, I, I think you make a good point with uh, with Kevin Keegan. Um, you know, holding that record for sure. Um, so I will be happy going with Kevin Keegan. I think I remember him more so for his managerial career and his outbursts, and you know, a couple of times where he's probably lost it as a Newcastle manager trying to keep up with Man United, but um, did it both on English in in the English leagues and abroad too. At Hamburg, I think it was. Yeah. So yeah, I'd be happy putting Kevin Keegan in there. Something a little bit different. What I would say as well, I think if we were to have this conversation in maybe another five, ten years, similar to the Ashley Cole story, is like Alan Shearer. He would definitely yeah. be up there. But I think winning two Ballon d'Ors, you can't really look past Kevin Keegan there. Yeah, is there maybe better strikers? Sure. But for somebody to be recognised as the best at that current time twice, that goes a long way. Yeah, I think when you're picking legends, you got to, you're picking people that haven't played for 
at least 20 years, aren't you? But I think I think we've got a good team here. Um, Peter Shilton in goal. Uh, we've got Phil Neal right back, Ray Wilson left back, Bobby Moore and Viv Anderson, two centre-backs, two solid centre-backs. Brian Robson uh, and Sir Bobby Cholton. Stanley Matthews on the right, George Best on the left. We went with Kevin Keegan and who did we go for? Jimmy Greaves. Jimmy Greaves. There we go. And Jimmy Greaves as the, the second striker. So I'll give you a quick question then, and this will be a little quick fire question. Who's managing this team? Uh, I'm going to go Bobby Robson. Okay. Any reason? Uh, I just think when you hear like greats of the game talking about him, what he was as a person, both as a managerial genius, but also as a, a, a people person and um, someone who helped people in life as much as the football field. Um, and obviously from his kind of coaching tree, you have people like Jose Mourinho, who spent time with him um, and learned a lot from him too. So I would go with Bobby Robson, although I'm, you know, there's a list of, of legendary managers. I'd be very tempted to to put others in too, but I'll go with Bobby Robson. All right. So I know I said about not being biased, but I'm going to be biased now. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson will be managing this team uh, Bobby Robson can be the number two um, so yeah moving on uh, quickly um, Sir Alex Ferguson is the manager as the greatest ever manager when we're going to put in uh, Bobby Charlton as captain yeah I think gotta be in honour of his uh, recent passing Bobby Charlton as captain and also what a man he was but talking about Man United that kind of leads me on then Jack have you had any more thought about the question from earlier yeah, so the question was players who had played first team games for Manchester United and Manchester City. You said there were how many answers? 15. So I definitely don't have 15. But I can give you the ones I do have and then maybe some of the listeners can help us out. Yeah. Um, I'd be very impressed if anyone at home has, has got these all 15. But I'll go with uh, so Carlos Tevez. Correct. Peter Schmeichel. Correct. Mark Robbins, I only know that one because um, for a brief period he was the Huddersfield Town Manager. Correct. Um, Dennis Law, as we mentioned. Correct. Brian Kidd, obviously then became Man United's assistant uh, coach. Correct. A guy that um, I think I might have spoken about previously, but I was actually a fan of Andrea Kanchelsis, oh, right, right winger. I remember baggy shirt, rapid, running down the wing. Uh, another more modern one, Owen Hargreaves. Correct. Probably an easy one people have got. Um, one that I I'm impressed that I know this. I impressed myself. Peter Beardsley played one time for Man United. I think. It's a great shout. So he got one appearance for Man United. Um, Andy Cole. Correct. And then the only other one I can think of is um. John Gidman. Correct. Is that right? Let me see on the list who you're kind of missing here. See if there's any obvious ones. You've got, I would say you've got the the main stars. Have you got any more ideas before I tell you the, the remainers? No, I'm, I'm after that, I'm, I haven't got much left. Okay. So I feel the, like there was like a young, like a youngster, like a, a Cole Cook or something like that, I think who might have. I'll give you that. Terry Cook. I'll give you Terry 11. Cook. Okay. Terry Cook's in there. You got any other shouts or not? No, that's me done. Okay. 
So in 12th place, you got Peter Barnes. In 13th place, Wynn Davis. And you've got, I'm looking through my list, Sammy McElroy. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I wouldn't have got any of those. So I'm not exactly mad. I'm not mad at myself for missing those ones out. It's not like I've left left any uh, fruit hanging there, I don't think. Go through the list again. Okay, so we've got Peter Barnes, Peter Beardsley, Andy Cole, Terry Cook, Wynn Davis, John Gidman, Owen Hargreaves, Andre Konchelski, Brian Kidd, Dennis Law, Samuel, uh, Sammy McElroy, Mark Robbins, Peter Schmeichel, Carlos Tevez. Yeah, but that's impressive if anyone regrets all of those, I think. Yeah, that would be uh, very impressive. I know, so I've just realised there, that's only 14. If I'd said 15, I do apologise to the listeners. It is 14 players we were looking for. So that makes your Jack, that makes your answer even more credible, there even better. Um, but no, I think that was a good episode, obviously, looking at the legends of the game. Um, a little bit different for us. Um, just before we do go, I know it's Christmas time coming up soon. Uh, we have launched the online store where you can buy yourself hoodies, T-shirts, coffee mugs, magnets. You name it, we've got it. It's on our social media. You want to buy it for that special someone waking up Christmas Day to a nice pitch side perspective podcast hoodie. They're pretty cheap, to be fair. Jack, I know you've got one. High you quality, like though. Very cheap, high quality. Cheap in price, not in quality. Exactly. That, that's our slogan. Cheap in price, not in quality. Yeah. Yeah. Get that on your wish list of Santa. Uh, all, uh, all proceeds from those sales will go back into the investment of this podcast to make it bigger and better for you, the listeners. We get a new host or something? Yeah, we have to pay somebody. <laughs> we'll get the next person on. We have to start paying these people soon. Um but from both of us, we bid you a farewell and enjoy your weekends. 